Hi, I'm Ted Zoller, and you're tuned into On the Heels of Innovation, a podcast powered by the Entrepreneur's Genome Project at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. How is it that some people are successful in pushing their ideas further and faster than the rest of the world? What characteristics do they share? Which skills did they work to hone? And what lessons have they uncovered through each step forward and back that can inspire you to accelerate your own ideas for a business or venture? This podcast will explore the perspectives, insights, and journeys of innovators and entrepreneurs who combine creative thinking and perseverance to go beyond the expected. On the Heels of Innovation is powered by the Entrepreneur's Genome Project, which is a research initiative that I lead with my students in the Entrepreneur's Lab class at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, revealing the DNA that makes up successful entrepreneurs. So today I'm here uh, with Ben Barris, uh, MBA graduate of Keenan Flagler from 05. That's correct. Uh, former student of mine and right. uh, president of Indie Do Good. Yeah. You know, um, in studying the story of Indie Do Good, um, I just have to read the preamble uh, on your overview. Uh, Indie Do Good is the proud home of maker stories, the dot-com home of makers, independent entrepreneurs who are driven, driven with a purpose. Correct. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. Well, It's great to be here. I'm thrilled to uh, have some time with you because, um, you know, in our Entrepreneur Genome Project, we talk about the different characteristics of entrepreneurs. And in hearing your story, I think you represent better than anyone I've ever met the concept of passion. Tell us a little bit about why you do what you do uh, as an entrepreneur. And uh, we'll tell a little bit more about Indie Do Good's work through that story. Okay. Thank you. Um, I, I think passion is, uh, is a good descriptor for uh, what motivates me. Um, and, and, and it's passion that uh, is grown or has grown out of um, a, a super mechanical, energy depleting uh, experience in some parts of my career that, uh, that drove me to want to do something different. And um, and that's that's why I do what I do today. I um... so tell me more. Uh, you know, so so some of these experiences have been perfunctory. They've been you know kind of uh, uh, spirit zapping. Yeah. Uh, and you wanted to do the opposite. You decided to go in the opposite direction. Tell us more about yeah. that. Well, I, and and I have to say that Keenan Flagler and in fact your two elective classes on entrepreneurism were the impetus really for that jump into wanting to do something more altruistic, more inspirational, more uh, motivational. Um, I had one of your standard run of the mill careers where it was. Uh, Graduated from undergrad and went into business and worked for a multinational consumer products company, and and I found myself in um, in in pretty traditional leadership roles, um, but I would try to bring innovative thinking, even unbeknownst to me, just innovative thinking to um, to standard practices where I was running a global supply chain for um, Aris Isotoner. And one of my biggest challenges was sourcing uh, difficult materials and delivering on time because trying to procure those materials would be difficult. Um, so I started to work upstream with the designers and the developers to make sure that the materials that they were designing into the next seasonal line uh, were things that were easily sourced that I could get my hands on so that we would have on-time deliveries, we wouldn't have returns, and we wouldn't have disgruntled customers. And um, So I, I, was, I was in and around, and I would try to bring, I think, entrepreneurial thinking to those standard roles, but it was a pretty standard progression of 
uh, increased leadership, increased responsibilities, um, to the point where I found myself in a role uh, where it was a turnaround role, where it was a company that had recently been um, run out of business. Uh, it was a fed, uh, Finger Hut Direct Marketing. It was a brand that was around for about 50 years. Uh, Federated department stores acquired the company didn't really understand the, the operating model and the sensitivity to uh, the credit element of the business and within two years put it out of business. Venture capitalists came in and recapitalized the company, um, put bankers in lead uh, executive roles and um, started running it with a lot more fiscal prudence than, uh, than Federated uh, brought to the business. And then I joined that company. And initially, the, the restart of this altruistic company that reached out to subprime customers uh, that for some reason or another, financial mismanagement, they, um, they found themselves in need of credit. They, they were deemed by the market as not being credit worthy. Uh, Fingerhut would reach out to those customers, rehabilitate them, and offer them credit that could be used for purchases within their e-commerce model. And that was an altruistic uh, business. I was attracted to that. Uh, but the intent of the VCs not surprisingly, was to within five to seven years flip the company. So my job was to completely transform the technological and operational infrastructure, make the company scalable and sellable so that within five to seven years we could flip the company and sell the company and, and take our equity buyout. And, um, and, and I didn't understand what that meant until we started making those decisions where we would bring leaders in that didn't necessarily have the credentials that were required to build the company and help the consumer, but they had the credentials required for Wall Street to kind of buy the concept and, and for us to take the company public or to sell the company. Um, and it became more and more difficult to to uh, retain that inspiration, that, that passion for what I was doing. And, um, but I, it was also, I was vested in this and, and I had a big equity, potential equity uh, payout. And I found myself staying with that company for the money. And I, you know, almost every day when I would get up, I, I would hear my dad's words where, and I'm sure every kid, right, has a dad that says, find what you love to do and do it and don't worry about the money. And I was punished every morning when I got up because I could hear my dad's words. And I felt like I was defying my father every morning when I went to work. And, and you know, we, we did our job, we sold the company, and it was a meaningful fiscal uh, reparation for me and my, my family. But I have to tell you, I looked back over probably those last three years that I was with the company and I was almost... I don't want to say ashamed because we did great things, but I didn't do it for the right reasons. And I walked away from that experience and I said, I'm going to listen to my dad and I'm going to do what I'm passionate about and I want to help people and I want to change the world. And there's so many problems with society today and there's so many people with great ideas about how to fix those problems that I want to immerse myself in that and help people that are like-minded. And that's what put me to you know where I am today with Indie Do Good. Well, your your resume reads like uh, the kind of resume any of our graduates would would want uh, in the consumer products and merchandising market. You know, you worked with Hanes and with Wilson's Leather, leather and Blue Stream and Fix Find and a number of others that were really really important uh, building blocks. But I noticed that um, in your more recent career, that um, North Star of passion is actually coming true, and it's culminated now in your role at Indie Do Good. Tell us a little bit about Indie Do Good and what it does and what makes it different. And Absolutely. how does it build on that passion? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Um, 
So uh, I was fortunate to have been introduced to a couple that had uh, respective starry careers uh, in their, their own right, Sue and Ron Otten. Um, Sue was one of the early marketing executives at Apple Corporation, and, um, and when she left, had an, uh, a meaningful equity um, stake in, in the company. And Ron uh, worked for many multinational uh, uh, engineering firms and is an executive leadership uh, in engineering. Uh, and they, they coupled their uh, personal uh, uh, financial resources accumulated over their lifetime careers, and they decided that um, they wanted to do something good for society. They wanted to um, help people uh, to change the world and change the world, make it a better place. And they wanted to use as, as much of their resources as they could to do so. So they acquired a company. It was, uh, it was called FixFind. It was a direct-to-consumer company, but mostly predominantly a marketplace model. Didn't have any direct-to-consumer brand uh, recognition uh, and uh, were trying to figure out what to do with that asset as, as they acquired it. Um, I was engaged and uh, brought some ideas about what they could do and, and how they could introduce uh, a direct-to-consumer brand uh, to compete in the e-commerce world through a differentiated model. So you have to think if, if, if you're going to propose to somebody that they start an e-commerce company in the world of titans like Amazon or Walmart.com or Target.com, you know, et cetera, uh, it better be a truly inspired and differentiated model. So um, I listened to what it was that they wanted to accomplish. They love entrepreneurism. They love, you know, young, energetic, brilliant people uh, that have great ideas that are philanthropic and altruistic, and they love the energy and they love sharing that energy and and they want to do everything that they can to support it. So. I said, well, you know, the only way I think you can really make a go at an e-commerce model today is to have something that nobody else has. And you want to engage young entrepreneurs that have great ideas and great products. Um, why don't we create a company that engages them? You already have the operational infrastructure. We already have marketing and branding resources that these young companies will need. So why don't we engage them, um, gain access to their products, help them sell their products, help them market their products, um, help to refine any branding strategies that they have, offer services that can handle all of their operational back end, uh, and bring them on board and, and, and take to the, the consumer a gallery of entrepreneurs, of inspirational um, products, patented, unique, inventive products that nobody has ever seen before and Amazon will never see and Walmart.com will never see. And it will be our exclusive um, collection of indies or independent makers um, who do good. Um, and um, I, there's the precursor to the branding exercise that we did. We, we sat down with a branding agency and went through, well, what, what do we call a company? like this. And, and we do want to engage makers. We want to engage independent makers, indies, and affectionately known as the indie movement uh, in the marketplace today. Um, but we, we specifically want people that are doing some kind of good, that either independently are um, motivated to help society or their products themselves um, that they've invented have a, a, a benefit, societal benefit of some sort. Hence, 
Indie Do Good. There you uh, go. Yeah. You know, um, in studying the story of Indie Do Good, um, I just have to read the preamble uh, on your overview. Uh, Indie Do Good is the proud home of maker stories, the dot-com home of makers, independent entrepreneurs who are driven, driven with a purpose. It sounds very much like your own story, Ben, doesn't it? Yeah, and, it does. And as a matter of fact, you're helping to drive now the stories of multiple entrepreneurs, the people that are involved in the Indie Do Good platform. And I saw that you have uh, a number of uh, categories, for instance, apothecary, health, accessories, active lifestyle. These are all marketplaces now that are, are you know, red ocean, but also very competitive. And they're looking for unique solutions. Could you tell us a little bit about why you picked those four categories and perhaps maybe select a couple of stories that really capture my imagination on how people are being driven by purpose? Yeah, we... Um... Uh, we f- we feel like through research, uh, it shows that um, that there's two significant populations uh, of consumers today um, that are especially driven by purpose, uh, and it's late boomers, surprisingly, uh, or maybe maybe not, because uh, you know it's it's the me generation. So I, sorry to say that I, I'm glad I'm I'm not on video because you can't see what I look like, but I'm a late boomer, and um, it's those people in their twilight. Uh, phase of their life or career that have done everything that they uh, wanted to do uh, in in progressing through a career role and living a life the way they they want it. Now they're in a position where they want to give back and they know that their fiscal resources accumulated over a lifetime can be used as votes cast um, to change society through their purchasing patterns. And, and they're really savvy. They're mature buyers and they know I can spend my money and I cast my vote for how I want society to look by virtue of how I dispose of my disposable income. The other pocket, surprisingly, is millennials. Millennials just, they know that they are a significant population um, to be reckoned with. And the, the sheer numbers of, of them and the way they think and the cohesion of how they think as a, as a generation is, is so um, uh, uh, collectively holistic and, and synergistic that they realize that whatever fiscal resources they have um, can be spent meaningfully, um, deliberately to make change in society. So these categories that we're in and we're ever expanding as we engage new entrepreneurs um, are categories that are meaningful to them. And, um, but specifically because they are inspired by doing good in the way they purchase, we seek out entrepreneurs that have a great story to tell, an emotive story to tell, a meaningful story to tell that resonates with people. That that you know we, we don't really consider ourselves exclusively e-commerce retailers. We are storytellers that happen to have products available for sale at the end of the story, um, and the stories are the entertaining part. I you know I grew up in, in retail. 150 years ago, right? When um, when uh, Strawbridge's and Clothier had these wonderful displays at Christmas time. And, and it was an event. You know, you go to church on Sunday and then you go out to the department stores and and shopping retail was an experience. It was so experiential. And then with the the, the uh, centralization of the industry, you lost all that. Retail's yeah, it's not fun a anymore. It's a commodity, hasn't it? It's, it's retail's a commodity. I, you know, I, who needs 64 million choices? Who needs to, who truly needs to get their product within an hour? 
You know, it, it doesn't have to be, there's no event in that. There's no experience in that. We try to give the consumer as much an experience as possible. And we tell them stories. We inspire them because you know what? They could be the next entrepreneur. And what is the common denominator you're, with all of your makers? The common denominator you see, what are the common characteristics they carry? Are they uh, driven by their drive to solve a problem? Are they driven by making something better? Are they driven by uh, ultimately their own passion? Give us a give us a sense of. I, I really have to say I hate those answers where somebody says all of the above, but it really is all of the above. These are all first of all super passionate people. Uh, they're passionate about making positive change in the world, and they're passionate about. Um, helping people. Um, so uh, a couple of examples. Uh, we have uh, Joy McBreen, who uh, started a company called Farinita. Um, Joy had a personal experience uh, where um, she was assaulted while a student at uh, University of Minnesota. Mm. And, um, you know, where most people would find that a crushing experience, she took it and she said, this will not define me. I am going to use this to change my life and to change the lives of others uh, in some positive way. And, and at the time she didn't know, uh, I, I don't think she knew immediately how she was going to respond to it and what she was gonna do. Um, but as it turns out, she started to research how women are marginalized uh, around the world and, and um, why it happens, uh, how it happens, and what does it take to prevent it from happening. And, um, and economic impoverishment is one of the key uh, ingredients to the marginalization of women around the world. So she said, well, you know, I, I've, I've engaged so many different communities of women and I see that it takes so little to lift women out of poverty and to give them choices so they're not um, subject to the harms that can come from um, being as needy as they are in those uh, economic areas. So she started to work with them to create crafts, fair trade crafts, um, and she imports those to the United States, started a business uh, where she helps now 8,000 women around the world that are making crafts for her. Um, she pays them three times the living wage within the communities that they live. She supplies them benefits, uh, which is unheard of in those communities. Sure. And, and, and like, how can you engage somebody like that and not share their passion? How, how can you not want to do everything you can to help her build her business. And that's what we're doing. We're doing fulfillment for her now. When, when we met her, she was doing her fulfillment for uh, customer orders out of the attic of a church. Right. We said, uh, you know, if, if you could have anything, what would it be um, to make your dreams come true? And she said, I just wish I could do more of what I'm doing. And I'm like, well, what if we did all your fulfillment for you? I mean, would that enable you to have more time to engage more women and build your line and sell more product? And she said yes. And um, so now not only are we doing fulfillment, but we're helping to take her to brick and mortar retail um, to build the revenue side of her business. And... And we're all inspired. That's, we that's all amazing. get to share and participate in these great visions. We, we have another entrepreneur, um, Megan Sharkis, who was uh, in high school and she had a friend who had diabetes. And so, uh, you know, so did we choose the categories or did the categories choose us? In this case, it was a category choosing us, um, personal care products. And um, uh, her friend was, she tells the story that her friend was always getting in trouble 
because she would wear a uh, glucose monitor um, and the patch that she used to hold the monitor to the skin uh, was, uh, would, would uh, uh, break down when she would sweat when she'd play sports or when she would swim. Um, so she was always getting in trouble because she would lose her monitor, her mom would have to replace it and the insurance were, was going up and there was expense associated with it. So Megan said, I'm gonna do something about this. And as a high school senior started discussions with 3M Corp to negotiate for a unique adhesive um, that would adhere to the skin with no trauma when removed uh, upwards of 30 days later and developed wow. a, as, a, as a high school kid, started a business um, making just something as simple as uh, glucose monitor patches that work better than what's in the marketplace today, better than what these major corporations are making because she was passionate about doing it. She has designs on them, so she removes the stigma barrier. They're cool designs, kids want to wear them. Um, and she built a sizable business as a college sophomore and we're helping her build that business. And So, uh, so these stories are the start, but you know, it sounds like Indy Do Good and your work, Ben, has been about finishing the story and you know it's where passion meets drive, and in a lot of ways, um, I think about um, this old model of doing well by doing good, and indie do good is actually solving for that. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about what does you what does indie do good bring by way of value add to the business model to help them scale these ideas that would otherwise probably not get beyond startup stage to now have mainstream appeal in the market. Yeah. And that's really what you're all about, right, Ben? It is. It is. Regardless of the stage that we engage the entrepreneur at, and, and we'll engage entrepreneurs probably from six months pre-market to a year within the marketplace. After a year, they're either um, self-sufficient or um, they've probably determined that maybe this is not uh, an ideal concept to take to market at this time. So that's kind of the, the spot that we deal within. And as early as six months, it could be brand refinement, it could be product refinement, it could be um, sourcing support, um, it could be uh, pre-market release uh, marketing. Um, as we get closer, it's all of the uh, launch requirements, so it's all of the logistical support, uh, finding manufacturers, uh, uh, global uh, logistics of moving the product once it's manufactured, uh, fulfillment services, customer service, um, all of these services to taking the product out to brick and mortar retail, selling on our website, um, social media management, communications, PR. Um, those are all capacities that we offer the entrepreneur. And, you know, I think there's there's an element of naivete. I think they're so passionate uh, in so many cases where the, passion, uh, the entrepreneur is so passionate about just wanting to take this idea to market to help people that they don't think about the complexity that, um, that could present uh, a formidable challenge to them accelerating the, their ability to do so. So with a partner like Indie Do Good, we do all that. That's right. And, and it, it occurs to me that sometimes makers are, um, you know, they do what they do. Yeah. Uh, they don't necessarily know how to distribute, how to market, how to sell. Right. Um, ultimately, how to deal with uh, now the uh, new world of e-commerce. Right. Um, uh, and Indie Do Good is now enabling all of these makers uh, to actually realize the full potential of their story. And from what I can tell, that has been Barris's contribution. 
Uh, ben, this is what your life has been about, is helping people realize their potential and going back to their core values. Is that right? Yeah, I, I would like to think so. I, I, I mean, if, uh, if there's an epitaph, I'll take that one and, uh, <laughs> and uh, at some point. Um, but, you, you know, so many times the conversation comes down to uh, your passion is what created this concept. There are more generations of this concept that need to be created. I can't, I can't be your passion in your field. I, I can't develop the next generation park and diamond collapsible helmet that we can take to different sports, but I can do everything else for you so that you have the time to do more of what you do best, which is take your passion, take your experience in the field that you're in, whether it's fair trade jewelry or diabetes uh, support uh, materials or it's uh, protective uh, athletic gear, um, let me do everything else so that you can be the inspired entrepreneur that you are. If you're out there and if you're a maker and if you wanna, if you've got a great idea and you just need some help mm -hmm. getting across the finish line, mm -hmm. um, you know, give us a call. Look us up on the website. There's a place where you can uh, introduce yourself. Um, you know, come tell us your story and let us help you uh, realize your dreams. And uh, what a great role that is uh, to play. And de facto, you just get to take a little piece of satisfaction from seeing them helping the people that they help. So it's great. I just want to thank you, Ben, uh, for being first a graduate of Keenan Flagler, but driven and uh, focused on helping these visionary makers take their dreams to the next level. And I will tell you from personal experience, there's so many stories that need to be realized so we're really uh, very fortunate to um, have your work uh, coupled with uh, Ron and Susan Otten at Indie Do Good. We're going to follow your story and uh, help you in any way possible to help realize uh, the opportunities that passion brings to the market. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you and so much for joining us. Certainly, I'd, I'd like to return the compliment. Like I said, uh, throughout my career, I have been immersed in what you know, in retrospect now, uh, is clearly entrepreneurial activity and, and entrepreneurial thinking, but it wasn't until my Keenan Flagler experience and your two entrepreneurship classes where, where you could define it as a thing. Entrepreneurism is a thing. It, it's sure a thing is. that you can create and it's, it's a thing us. that you can uh, promote and market. And, uh, you know, even with the Carolina Business Challenge, uh, where Monica Tommaso and I launched her business together and took second place, it's, you know, to have two minds come together, um, supporting one another and, and my supporting Monica in the implementation of her business and to pitch that business, to get the funding to start it and then watch Monica uh, launch that for five years and run it for five years. It was just, it all came uh, together here at Keenan Flagler and it was just a great way to launch into the entrepreneurial second half of my career. Well, Ben, so you represent it. the very best of uh, what we would see in our graduates uh, being driven by the values of passion and then helping to build rigorous business models that get that passion realized. So thank you for what you do every day and thanks for joining us on the Heels of Innovation. It's my pleasure. Thanks.